Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. I do have bad news. You're, you're stuck with me today, all right? You're stuck with me. Uh, I'm the only one, as far as, far as I know, uh, I'm the only one uh, that's going to be presenting today, but hopefully you'll hear a little bit more from, uh, from Brett and myself again tomorrow. We'll, we'll kind of tag team that last session, but uh, yeah, pray for me. I, I, uh, I sucked out a bunch of tea and honey, um, cough drops and whatnot, but the voice is still, uh, still failing me a little bit, so I do have some, some coffee, hopefully today that will uh, that'll help out a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and jump kind of right back into, into where we were yesterday. Um, finishing up from yesterday and then heading into so, some new stuff uh, in our second column today. But if you have your handout from, from yesterday, you can go ahead and, uh, and pull that back out from yesterday. If you, hopefully you also were able to grab uh, a new handout for today because we're going to, like I said, get into that second piece uh, where we talk, uh, uh, we talk a lot about um, the time to share your faith, what that looks like, some, some practical things for you guys in regards to when, where, how, and... Uh, and what kind of responses you can expect and all that kind of stuff. But just let me quickly go ahead and, and just do a two-minute drill where we review um, just some of the things that we discussed yesterday. We, we introduced uh, kind of what we're doing here today um, and in this week and, and how we structure evangelism, how we structure ministry at our church. Because like Brett talked about yesterday, every single thing flows through our phalanx groups, our phalanx ministries at, at Wildwood. And we started with the why, Right? Why are we doing it this way? Because, again, if the why isn't understood, then the how doesn't matter. And we're going to talk actually a little bit more about that today because there are some things that can kind of get in our way. There are some things that can, uh, can cause confusion and problem. Again, if we do not understand the why, um, the how is inconsequential. And so what we did was we went to two world changers, right? Two ministry changers, two life changers, and we went to Paul. And we saw Paul talks about what? The church's ability to win the lost revolves around personal relationships, unity, human relationships within, and most importantly, uh, without the body. And then we looked at the life of Christ. We saw him offering light to the community, light to his world, to this world, and his humanity through friendships, right? Uh, you want to be a little more like Christ? Be a friend. Be a friend of sinners. And so this is just briefly a, a little bit about the, the excuse me, the why, uh, the why we are doing it specifically this way. And then we got into some, some very specific things in regards to uh, the friend column, right? We talked mostly yesterday about the potential friend, right? The potential friend, and we focused on answering the question, can you consistently meet new people? And to be able to do that, you have to have activity in your life, consistently making friends. Are you finding yourselves in the places in your community where you can meet lost people? This takes Intentional activity, right? You have to be active in establishing relationships with new people at your job, uh, at your gym, uh, wherever you find yourself, at your cooking class, wherever it is, at your judo gym, all right? And then can you engage with current relationships? Can you cultivate those current relationships, those people that are already in your life? And you have to do this with intentionality, right? There has to be some intentionality behind it. And we left off yesterday at the very end, we're talking about two intentional activities that, that we do as we fish, right? Those being net fishing and fly fishing. And what we're trying to do and where we kind of left off, and if, if I can, go ahead and have 
my, uh, my calendar brought back up. Uh, I would really appreciate that because what I want to do is just pick right back up from where we ended yesterday in regards to talking about scheduling our lives with intentionality, right? And so what I want to focus on, and Brett talked about this just right at the end yesterday, was our calendars, our, our planning out our lives in advance. And so one thing I didn't have an opportunity or get a chance to mention was this calendar is every week is done a week ahead of time, all right? So for instance, Sunday the 10th, right? Sunday the 10th, what I do is I already have the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th pre-planned. I am pre-planning and pre-scheduling my evangelistic efforts. We found that to be super super key and super critical for various reasons, but one of those being, right, at the end yesterday, we talked about, Brett mentioned the group aspect of this and the importance of accountability when it comes to accountability in evangelism. And we use the group settings, which we're going to talk more about today and even more about tomorrow, but the groups keep us accountable to each other and to keeping a schedule, but they also keep us accountable to prayer. All right, so I want you to think about this. If you're able to pre-plan your evangelistic efforts, you're able to pre-pray for those evangelistic efforts, right? And when you are in a group of eight to 10 individuals that are like-minded, that are also doing this exact same thing, you have eight to 10 like-minded believers fellowshipping in the gospel through prayer. So, Sunday, every Sunday I have a, a, team, uh, a, a team call. Uh, we do a, a video call through Zoom with our support team back home. And what I do is, with uh, couples from our church, there's about uh, four or five couples that join this call, I present to them my week. Guys, here's what Lacey and I have scheduled for this week. We'd appreciate prayer as Lacey goes out to lunch with Simone this week. She's got some really good opportunities with her, had some really good conversations. I'd appreciate prayer uh, for Dave. Dave and I are going to the rugby game this weekend, and uh, man, I think that's a really cool opportunity for, for me. I'm going to try to do some investment in his life. And what do we do? We pre-plan so we can pre-pray. There's a lot of pre's in there, right? We pre-plan so we can pre-pray. And everybody in our group is involved in strategizing, yes, pre-planning our week, but praying for group meetings, praying for individual meetings. And so throughout the week, we also have group texts, right? Everybody loves a good group text message. But these are really, really important, right? Where our phalanx group has a group message. Hey, guys, I'm getting ready to go and meet with, with, with Dave uh, just about five minutes. If you guys could just send up a quick prayer for me, I'd really appreciate that. And what happens is our meetings are now saturated in prayer. Sam last night talked about the importance of prayer, right? The importance of saturating everything, your evangelistic efforts in that. And this is how we accomplish that through failings groups. Can you imagine the difference in the conversations, the difference in the relationships at your church? If instead of focusing on the things of this world, Instead of having conversations about the things of this world and the things that are going on and things that annoy us about each other, we're actually strategizing and having conversations and prayer sessions about the lost in our lives. You see, what happened was our college group kind of caught wind of this at Wildwood, right? They, they caught a hold of this. And I used to, uh, before I uh, was trained to be a missionary and all this kind of stuff, I used to teach, I used to teach the college class. And... Um, I would come in in the mornings on Sunday mornings before our class, and they'd be talking about whatever. And I'd ask for prayer requests, and there wasn't any really, you know, substantial prayer requests that came back, you know, if I'm quite honest. And, you know, we started, 
you know, teaching at Phalanx. We started doing it with them, and they started getting involved in it, and they st- their lives started changing. What happened was their conversations started changing. So about a year into it, I started noticing I was hearing different conversations when I would come in on Sunday morning, right? The girls would be asking the other girls, hey, how'd your meetings go this week? The guys would be asking, hey, how'd it go with so-and-so this week? And I'd ask for prayer requests, and almost every hand in the room would go up. And it wasn't, it was no longer praying to do well on their tests at school. What was it? Pray for my evangelistic efforts this week. And this is where we started to see some change in our church. This is where it begins because we started strategizing and praying around everybody's individual efforts and individual uh, friends and their relationships in their lives. All right? And so I'm going to pick back up with letter B of that potential friend point where our goal, all right? So here's our goal. Our goal is to create and engage in your relationships, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention something that winds up becoming very, very important in this first column, all right? We're going to evangelize without evangelizing, all right? We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. But what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for continued opportunities, all right? And how do you know we're talking about transitioning now from a potential friend into a realized friend? How can you get to that point? And how do you know you've reached that point? And here's one of the things that we instruct people to start trying to do. If they're trying to move from a potential friend, right, somebody they've just met in a group, here's one of the things that we we start to look for and we start to instruct people. You hang out, you do friend activities outside of your normal group context, okay? So you have a coworker. How do you start to take that coworker from a potential friend and move him to a realized friend? You take him to lunch. You buy his lunch, right? You go for a walk on your lunch break. You do trivia with a gym friend, right? Hey, after our workout, there's, uh, there's trivia down here at the restaurant. Would you like to go and do trivia with me? Like, I need a partner. I'm not all that bright. You want to come down? I've done this before. You watch football, proper football, on the big screen, right? On the big screen with the guys from the football group. You have a mom and her son over to your house for tea. These are all things that we've done to find true relationship building happen to go from potential friend to realize friend. You intentionally go out of your way to engage with that other person. This takes you now, we're now progressing into a realized friend. And the question that we now ask is, can you consistently cultivate those current relationships? Because now we're, now we're getting into it, right? Now we're starting to see some movement. Because that's, that's what this is about, right? We're taking our friends and we're, we're again, we're progressing them through certain, certain stages and certain things. And so the focus of this realized friend is being a real friend, okay? There are a lot of fake friends out there. There are a lot of fake people out there. Your focus is being a real friend. Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch, and what does he do? He immediately, number one, he invests in the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And how does he invest in that person? He asks a question, right? Understandest what thou readest? He takes note of what's going on in his newfound relationship's life. You see, we're seeking to now move past that acquaintance stage. This person is no longer just a a mere acquaintance in your life. You're getting deeper. You're getting a little bit more intimate with them and the knowledge that you have of their lives. And how how do we now invest in the lives of people, okay? There are a couple very important things that we do 
as we seek to invest in people. And number one is we pay attention to the details, okay? If you want to make some real friends, some true friends, pay attention to the details of their life, okay? Philip listens, and he asks him a question based on what he hears, right? Have you ever asked somebody a question, and then they answered, and you can't remember the answer to that question, right? Literally one second before, you're like, man, what was this guy's name? Uh, man, what was, what was the guy? No, 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 no. This is, this is what we're talking about. We're engaging, right? We're cultivating that relationship. We're asking about their life. Hey, how are your kids? What's your family life like? How is your family doing? What do you enjoy to do in your free time? Hey, I saw in your Instagram post you were out golfing. Do you like to golf? Dude, I love golfing. We should go golfing sometime, right? What are you doing? You're asking about what they like to do. What is going on in their life at that moment? Ask your coworker if they need help. Ask your neighbor. Ask your friend at your group fitness class if you can put their weights away. Whatever it may be, ask about the details of their life. And the details of your friend's life are going to tell you where to go next, okay? This is how you know how to progress. This is how you know where to go, what to do with them. How do they like to spend their time? But now this is important, okay? Maybe the most important thing is as you start to ask about their life, they reciprocate, right? They normally reciprocate by starting to ask about your life. And this is really, really important. And I saw this, I saw this come into action in my life not too long ago. So uh, I mentioned uh, Dave and Simon and Marco. These are got kind of my top three guys, right? And they love their, their, uh, their Welsh, actually. All three of them are Welsh. And uh, they love Welsh football. And, and they love talking about Manchester United. And we go and we watch the games and all this kind of stuff. And I was talking to them about them. I'm asking them about all of them you know, 1990 teams that I've Googled and David Beckham and whatnot. Like, I know way too much about Manchester United football, okay? And so I was asking them about this as I'm trying to strategically, intentionally invest in their lives. And what I noticed was they started to reciprocate that. Now, I'm a Bengals fan. I know I'm going I'm to trigger some people. I'm a Bengals fan. But give me a break. I've had 31 years of misery, okay? So Chiefs fans in the room, just chill, all right? But they started noticing, like, Hey, you're a Bengals fan, right? They asked me about American football. And I told them I'm a Bengals fan. It's been miserable. When they started following Bengals football, I'm not kidding you. They go, hey, I remember Dave asked me, hey, didn't, didn't the Bengals win last night? Like, are they in the playoffs? Yeah, man, it's a, it's a miracle. But yeah, don't worry. It'll be over next week. And then, then we beat the Chiefs. And then we make the Super Bowl. Okay, I actually invited everyone over for a Super Bowl party at my house. The problem was the Super Bowl in Ireland started at um, 11 p.m. So nobody showed up. Um, they all told me, though, they, they, were, they weren't showing up. However, you want to know what happened? At 3 a.m., I got two text messages, one from Dave and one from Simon. Man, this Bengals game is crazy. I can't believe it. You think they're going to win? And we... Ha- I texted these guys until about, you know, 3.30 a.m. when, unfortunately, the Bengals lost, but I'm not bitter about it. And these guys, what I'm getting at is these guys stayed up till 3.30 a.m. so that they could now invest back in me and they could reciprocate. And this is, the, this is where we want to get people to, right? This is an important step because what we're doing is we're trying to get to a scriptural pattern. The physical transitions to the spiritual, right? John chapter 3. What, is, what does Christ do? He uses birth 
to explain salvation to Nicodemus. John chapter 4. Water with the woman at the well, right? Christ makes physical connections. And therefore, then he takes them and turns them into spiritual connections. The question is, can you connect with somebody on a physical level, right? Can you be a true friend and truly care about their interests? Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to connect through coffee, through kids, through proper football, through weightlifting, through sewing, something that you can invest in the other person, right? This is a family thing for us. Our, our son is two years old. Our son is more involved in failings than, in his first two years of life than I was for 25 years of my life. We do this. My wife does this with my son. So I mentioned intentionally scheduling your week, right? I'm going to brag on my wife for a second. Uh, I, I was getting ready to leave, and we, we didn't get to do everything that we normally do to prepare for our week. And she texts me, hey, babe, praying for you. Just want you to know, here's my, here's my schedule for the week. She's intentionally, make sure you pray for these meetings that I have coming up, because I'm starting to really see some serious investments start to pay off. And what my wife does, okay, here's what my wife does. While Eric is, is away and in America, she doesn't just sit around and do nothing. She is investing. We're actually using our son to invest in other people. So Saturday, she took the train with another lady who she's investing in with her son, and they went and they got breakfast, and they went and they walked on the beach. And I asked how it went. And Lacey told me this lady poured out her entire life to her. Why? Because Lacey took the time to ask, hey, do you want to come with me? I know you're going through a little bit of a rough time. Just take some time away. Bring your son. I'll bring my son. We'll go to the beach. We'll hang out. Guys, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science, right? Trust me. Trust me. You see me. Like, if I can do it, you can do it. I promise you. You guys are better looking. You're cooler. You're smarter. You're funnier. You have a better voice. Like, if I can do this, if we can do this, you can change your culture. You can change your community. All you have to do is be intentional and just go out of your way to start investing in people. And then you have to serve them, okay? You have to intentionally serve them. So you got to invest and you got to serve. Go near and join thyself. You listen and you use the information to serve the other person. And your service is going to allow your investment to begin compounding, right? Over time, you begin to cash in on that investment. This is key. This is critical. You got to cash in. You got to listen. You got to write down. Because when I listen, I tend to forget really quickly. So you listen for birthdays, for anniversaries, for momentous events, for deaths, for hobbies. Why? So that you can send cards. When I came back home to get my visa over Christmas, we sent probably about 12 total presents, Christmas presents, back home to relationships that we had in Belfast. Why? We're investing in them. We're serving them. We're, we're taking something that we know they like. So Dave loves Pixar and he loves Toy Story. He's got socks and shoes and he can't wait for his son to grow up and, and show him all the Toy Story movies. I sent him a Pixar, like, Buzz and Woody t-shirt. And you would have thought I sent him, like, 20,000 gold bars. The guy texted me back 
and was absolutely thrilled. He wore it to football when I got back and showed it off. I mean, like, it's not, it's not hard, but you got to listen and you got to serve. You got to go out of your way, right, to do this. And what happens is, is when you start to do this, people start to notice that you care about them, right? And there's something I need you to understand is people do not care what you know until they know that you care. That's cliche, yes, but it's cliche for a reason because it's true. Oftentimes, we try to cram things down people's throats without letting them know first that we care about them, right? Hey, what you're doing is wrong, and here's why, and here's why, and here's why, and you haven't earned that right with them. You haven't earned that opportunity. So, so how do we do that? Be, be intentional. Invest in them. Serve them. How do you know, then, that you have a door of utterance? How do you know you've earned that right? Here's something I need you to write down here, something I need you to understand. God-given doors of utterance always come in the form of a question provided by your new friend. You remembered the anniversary of my dad's death. You sent me a card. My own family didn't send me a card. My own family didn't text me. You remembered my son's birthday. You sent him a gift. Man, you asked about my life. I can't remember the last time somebody asked me about my life. And what happens? Now... Now they're going to reciprocate, right? You've invested. You've served. You, you've started to see some fruit come from that as they then, what? They ask about your life. Why are you so different than my family, than my friends? And this is where we want to get to, right? Why are your kids so well behaved? Why do you actually enjoy hanging out with your wife? Why do you actually love her? And spend time with her. But you see, if, you, if, if they cannot get exposed to your life, then there's nothing for them to ask, right? If you, if you can't get here, then you can't get here. If they don't have exposure to you, if you don't invest in them, if you don't serve them, there's nothing for them to ask. If you don't ask about them, there's nothing for them to ask about you. You have to be intentional with what you do in your life. If you don't serve them, there's no difference. There's no difference between you and their worldly friends. And you're never going to know whether or not God is opening doors because those questions will never come. The second thing that you have to do is you have to sacrifice. All right, so you got to invest and you got to sacrifice. There are a couple of things that you have to sacrifice and you're going to need to know this right up front, okay? You're going to have to sacrifice time. You got to give people your most precious commodity. And that's time. It's running out. We need to redeem it. How do we redeem it? We spend time with the lost. We lead them to Christ. We invest in them. We serve them. Isn't it funny how Christians are always running out of time to evangelize? We just can't ever quite squeeze it into our schedule, can we? And I think that's the problem. We're trying to squeeze it into our schedule instead of making it our schedule. This is, this is the point of everything that we're doing here. We're making our life evangelism. And here's what, here's what typically happens when people start to invest in people, when people start to ask questions about the lost world. The world then reciprocates by laying out their life in front of us, right? I've been here. 
they start to answer your questions and they start to lay out all of their problems. And trust me, if you haven't done this, you're going to be blown away by the, by the problems of this world. And it gets weird. And it gets crazy. And they share way too much information. And we leave that conversation going, whoa. Okay. Good luck with all that. Right? We realize this was way more involved than we wanted to get. Because it's dirty. It's hard. It's weird. It's going to take way more time than we're willing to give. And then what happens? What happens? We disappear from their lives just like everyone else. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You're, you're telling them. You've told them. You're there to offer them something different. You cannot just leave them when they splay out all before you. Their life. They're blind, remember? They're lost. They don't think the way that you think. You need to understand that. You cannot disappear just like everybody else because a real friend, a real friend has time for people in their lives. And then also, you're going to need to understand you're going to have to sacrifice not just time, but you're going to have to sacrifice your life. Because the reality exists that if we're waiting for God, others in this world to be convenient for us, we're never going to do what we were called to do. It's never going to be convenient. That's not ministry. That's fun. You've got to sacrifice your life. That's the way it goes. Are you ready for that? Are you, you sure you're ready for phalanx? You're sure you're ready to join a small group? Because it's going to cost you your life. You see, the goal of all of this, the goal of all of this first column is to create spiritual opportunities. Create spiritual tension, if you will, right? Because you're going to notice that something is conspicuously missing from this first column. And that is there's been no evangelism as we have come to know it, right? They haven't opened a Bible, haven't quoted a verse. What have we done? We've been cool. <laughs> We've been normal. We've been just dudes being dudes, right? Just friends being friends. We're just there for them. We're investing in them. You need to understand that up until this point, the goal is just simply friendship, all right? Now, here's what happens. As we go about evangelizing with our lives, evangelism without evangelism as we know it, we offer them something different through how we act and how we behave. And the, lo and the lost world starts to see this. And what happens is Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, right? Verses 2 through 4, let me read these. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. This is Paul writing to the Colossians, right? With praying also for us. So he's asking for prayer for his life that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest. Paul is praying for God. This is key. This is critical. God has to open the door for you. These doors being opened so that he can make manifest, right? He can display through his life what is on the inside. It's this manifestation of what Christ has done in his life that will op offer him the opportunity to speak. And the quickest way to ruin all of this hard work, all of this investment, all of this time, all of this life effort, the quickest way to ruin it is to kick down the door ahead of God. I've done this multiple, multiple times. I've gotten ahead of the Holy Spirit. I've gotten ahead of God. 
and it's ruined opportunities. It's ruined work. It's ruined people. It's ruined them because I could not wait for God. Do not get ahead of him. You've got to let, you've got to let God open the door for you. And here's what you're looking for. What are you looking for? We've mentioned it. You're looking for questions. A door of utterance, I, I got to repeat it, a door of utterance always comes in the form of a question offered by the other person. Okay? So you're looking for questions. Very specific, spiritual, tension-creating questions. Again, why are you different? Why are you so nice all the time? Why is your kid not a complete maniac? Why does your wife love you? What is going on? Your life has been a testimony to them because they've seen the investment that you've put into them. They've seen you serve them. And therefore, God is going to open a door for you. And when that door opens, and this is key and this is critical because it's going to take us into the next column. All right? So I've left this arrow blank here on purpose because how we answer is almost, if not more important, than how we live our life. All right? So as we move into the faith section, you have to be ready. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify the Lord, your, Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. You never know. You never know what's going to spark a conversation. You never know what's going to spark somebody to ask you a question. I'm not kidding you. One time, I did cartwheels in the lobby of my gym with someone's uh, like eight-year-old daughter. She was out there doing a cartwheel, and I was just out there being friendly and nice with her. And I did a cartwheel with little Ava. The next day at the gym, this lady comes up to me and goes, hey, you know, I, I don't mean to be weird, but I, I saw you doing cartwheels with my daughter. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just trying to have fun. Just try. She's like, no, 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 no. Nobody's ever done that before. Like, I've been, you know, I've been wanting to come and talk to you about something. Like, I don't know what it is, but you've got this aura about you. You just got these positive vibes about you. If you've got positive vibes and if you've got an aura, that's the loss trying to tell you, hey, um, I need your attention. I'm looking for something, right? Are, are you alert? Are you paying attention for that? And so my positive vibes go off, right? Like this is a question. She's asking me, why were you so nice to my daughter? So what, what do we do? How do we answer? How do you know? It's your time. How do you know God is opening a door? Those are the questions that you're looking for. And the reality is that the questions scare most Christians to death, right? These types of things freak most people out. I was sharing this method with my dad. He's a pastor. He started teaching a class the next month on evangelism. He had 25 students the first week. He started by asking them to submit their main concerns, their main barriers to why they didn't evangelize. 22 of the 25 students listed at or near the top of the list the fact that they did not know how to or were scared to answer a question. You know, one of the main questions we get is, okay, I can normally get to this point, but what do we do next? How do we transition normal, naturally, easily from friend to faith? Friends, you must always answer your questions by sharing your testimony. All right? That's how you answer. You've got to share your testimony. When you open your life and live with intentionality, you're going to get a myriad of questions. Here are just a few I've gotten in the last month. 
Why are you so nice? Why are you so happy all the time? Why don't you swear? Okay. Have you been to Ireland, by the way? <laughs> how do you get along so well with your wife? And how can me and my girlfriend get along like that? Why, do you not, why did you not live with your wife before you were married? What do you think about me living with my boyfriend? Never once did I invade their privacy. Never once did I like, go out of, out of my way necessarily to, to like investigate and see whether or not this, what, what did I do? I lived a certain way. I gave them access to my life and my relationships and they naturally normally started asking me questions. The lost of my life saw a few things that were different and they invited me in. This is called, this is called earning the right to share your faith. This is how it's done. You earn the right by investing and by sacrificing in people. And when the lost began opening the door for you, we're now at the, just the beginning stages of that second column. And what we see is how we answer is just as critical as how we live. John chapter 9, verse 25. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I do know, whereas I was blind, now I see. You know, the absolute strongest proof of who God is is your transformed life. That's all this blind guy had to offer. Look, I don't know, but here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. Is that not all of our stories? Is that not all of our testimonies in here? You see, you answer your friend's question with your testimony of what God has done in your life. Not the life of your pastor. Not the life of your friend. Your life. God has led you to that person. Now you share your testimony. You begin by how the gospel has changed your life. This changed life you live will be the most powerful thing the world runs into. They do not need you to invite them to your church. They do not need you to wait until you can text your pastor for the answer to their questions. They need the person God has placed in their life to share how God changed them and how he can do the same for them. I want you to think about something with me quickly. When we feel defeated, when we have things going on in our life, what, where do we go to? What do we do? We open scripture, right? And we see character example after character example of people that have defeated giants. We got stories of conquering and pushing for Jesus. How do, they, how do these stories help the lost? Well, the fact of the matter is, is mo most of the time they don't. Why? Because the lost don't believe the Bible's true. Right? They don't go to scripture for help. And when trials come, the lost, the world, they have nothing to hold on to. Unless someone in their life maybe offers a picture, a story, a tale of hope of what they once were. Yet by the grace of God and your relationship with him, look who God has now made you. They don't trust the Bible. Your friends don't trust it, but they trust you. How powerful is your testimony? This is, important. this is an important key. This is an important thing to understand in this, in this process as we go through leading people to Christ. How powerful is your testimony? Not just your salvation testimony, right? Not just what wickedness and deep, dark sin were you in that God rescued you from. If that's your story, awesome. Share it. But the question now is, what has your story been since your salvation? Do you have a story that can only be explained by God? Because there are different questions that you're going, to have to, you're going to have to share your testimony. And it's not going to always look the same, right? 
What has God done? What did he rescue you from? And who has he now made you into because of his presence in your life? I want to give you guys a challenge. We challenge all of our failings group members to do this. Go home and write out your testimony. You've done it in discipleship lessons. When was the last time you did it, though? And I want you to write out a five-minute version and then a 30-minute version. Have a long, detailed thing that you can give to people when they're, you've got a captive audience, and we'll talk about a captive audience in a second. Take a moment at the end of each day, at the end of each week, look over your month with God. You've been walking with him, right? Certainly you've been walking with him. That's what you tell everyone on Sunday morning. What has God done for you as you walked with him this week? And how can you parlay that into an opportunity or an answer to that door of utterance in your life? Because your newfound relationships need you. One of the very first things that we do in our failings groups is we share our testimony with the group. We practice. We share. If you can't share it with the, with the Christians in your life, you certainly can't share it with the lost in your life. How has God answered specific prayer requests? How was it only through falling more in love with Jesus Christ that you truly fell in love with your wife? How is it that he rescued you from the throes of religion? and into an actual relationship with him. Not only is this the most powerful tool, but it's the most natural, normal way to present biblical realities to people. Share your testimony when you get that question. And this takes us to the first division here, right? So right here you have testimony. And you're taking your realized friend into the faith section by sharing your testimony with them. A version of it. And it's going to be different versions for different people. Because God has done different things throughout your walk with him, right? And what happens is we notice that certain things start happening once we answer those original questions. And normally what happens is we, we fall into Christ conversations with people, right? And there's a focus that we need to keep in mind as we get into these Christ conversations with people. And that is continued friendly activity, okay? You have to, number one, you have to keep the conversation going. You have to keep the conversation going. Because here's what happens. You answer your question that you get. Hey, man, I, had a, I know you're a religious person. I, I just want you to know I've gotten this question. I got it a couple weeks ago. I know you're a religious person. I, you know, I know you're, you're here to you know, start a church and all this kind of weird stuff. But I just want you to know. Like, I'm not a religious person at all. Like what, like, what gives? Like, I had a terrible experience with religion. All right? I've got an answer for that because I also had a terrible experience with religion. And I shared my testimony with Simon to explain how God rescued me from the throes of religion and brought me into a relationship with him. The unfortunate reality is, however, at the end of that conversation, at the end of me sharing something that I prayed for years for, Simon went, oh, that's cool. And... He went on his merry way. Okay. This, this is going to happen to you all the time. You're going to wait for a moment, pray for a moment, obsess over a moment, and it's going to come, and you're going to be stoked, and you're going to be excited, just like Pastor Sam last night, right? He's stoked for this moment, and then the response isn't what you were expecting. What do you do then? How, how do we then proceed? Because Eric told me at Discipleship Conference that if I shared my testimony, it was going to be the most powerful thing to them. And they didn't accept Christ. He lied to me. No. Don't take that for away from this, okay? Here's what you do. You keep the conversation going by continuing with friendly activities. 
You don't leave that person in the dust. You keep meeting with them. Guess what? After I shared my testimony with Simon, we went and we played football on Thursday. And we went out to eat afterwards. And we played again on Saturday morning after we had breakfast. What am I doing? I'm continuing the conversation. I'm continuing being a friend. I'm still investing in his life. He had a CPA, well, what I know as a CPA test. Really stressful. He studied like for two weeks for it. This is after I shared the gospel with him. And I've done it twice now. And he had a really stressful week. And so what Lacey and I did was we went to our favorite bakery in Belfast. We bought him like three or four treats. We dropped him off at his door. And he texted us later. He said, hey, man, that meant a lot to me. I scarfed those down because I was really stressed. And it meant a lot to me. And this is after he rejected me. What are we doing? We're keeping the conversation going. You're always investing. You don't just get to throw people aside. That's not what Christ did with you, is it? So why do you do that with other people? Number two, you have to be patient. You have to be patient with this, all right? You have to be patient. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. You're not there to argue. You're not there to show how smart you are. You're not, you're not in your friend's life to have an argument with them, to strive. What are you there for? To be ready, to be apt, to be gentle, to be patient, most people fall away from this after six months. They get involved, and they get in a group, and they have friends. And they, man, they invest all this time, and then six months later, and they have no converts because they're focused on the wrong thing. But they have no converts, and they lose patience, and they go, this doesn't work. Wildwood lied to us. They weren't honest about what they were doing. You've got you to gotta be patient. You've got to pray you got to be gentle with them, right? If there's ever a time for the love of Christ to constrain us, it's in this section right here. It's as you're living your life with these people. It's as you're involving them in conversations of your life. The natural man does not have the apparatus to understand what you understand, right? The Spirit of God isn't in their life. They're blind. Does it not break your heart? You see, the problem is, for most people, when they get a negative response, it doesn't break their heart, it pushes them away, it infuriates them, it frustrates them, and they leave their friend hanging, just like everybody else in their life. And then number three, okay? So you've got to be patient, and then number three, you've got to remember. You've got to remember something, and you've got to remember the why you are here, okay? This is where our groups really, really help us. Why are you here? Why are you at this stage? Why are you having these conversations with people? We talked about it as we began, right? Human relationships is what moves things. You are offering light. You are living like Christ to this world. And here's what happens. You get in these instances, you get in these moments in life where you're sharing your testimony, you're working a field, and you don't see any fruit, and you get frustrated, and you get impatient, and you get discouraged. And on Sunday, you come to your failings group. And you come in on Sunday night. It's the first, first Sunday of the night, or first uh, Sunday of the month, and you walk into your failings group. And what? You see, you see your brothers and sisters have been praying for you there. Right? I've been, I've been in this instance because it's not all sunshine and rainbows, I can assure you. It's not all fun and games because it gets crazy out there. It gets hard. And you walk into your failings group, and you sit down, and you hear others share stories. 
and you hear others and how they've prayed for you. And you fellowship and you share your struggles. You share your thoughts. You share your trials. And they're there for you. They put, the, they put your arm, their arm around you. They bring you in. They give you a hug. And they say, hey, man, remember why you're here. Remember why you're here. We've been praying for you, dude. I know it's tough out there. I know it's hard. I know they didn't respond how you wanted them to respond. Man, just keep that conversation going. We're praying for you, dude. We're praying for you. Imagine, how, imagine the difference in your church. Imagine the difference in your life. Imagine the difference in your small groups if that's how they operated. If you're so focused on, sh- on evangelism and sharing the gospel and reproducing and discipleship that you get out of your own way, right? You remember that it's not about you. And you have people there. You have your church there. You have your friends there that are laboring with you in the gospel to be there when you need patience. And the goal of these Christ conversations is that friendship will lead to more conversations. You're always, always trying to have more conversations. That's what you're doing. You're always trying to come back to that original spark, that original thing. You're always coming back to opportunities to answer those questions. That's what we're searching for. All right? So we've gotten to a point where now we've, we've shared our testimony. We've continued the conversation. We've had opportunities, and what we're doing is we're looking for what we call an opportunity to set up a chariot meeting, okay? So I want to explain the difference between a Christ conversation and a chariot meeting and how you're going to know when you've gotten there, okay? The difference between Christ conversations and chariot meetings is the expectations surrounding the meeting, all right? So I go out with Dave, And we're sitting at the restaurant, and we're talking, and he brings up a question. This just happened to me before I left, about a a week and a half before I left. And Dave brings up a question. And I've been been waiting for this. I've been preparing for this. I share my testimony in a way that answers the question for Dave. Again, that's how we've been trained to do it. It's worked multiple times. And, And Dave, instead of responding, oh, cool, and then going on his merry way, Dave responds with, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's really, really interesting. What is Dave saying? Dave is saying, I will hear you again on the matter. Acts chapter 17, verse 32, right? And that's who we're focusing on. And so immediately, my positive vibes go off, right? And what am I trying to do? I'm taking that and I go, oh, you found that, you found that interesting? That's, that's awesome. I, I would love to explain to you a little bit more about, man, I don't know why you disagree with that. Would you be interested in talking about that more? Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe when it's not, it was literally midnight at the time. Maybe when it's not midnight and I have a little bit more time on my hands, I'd love to talk about that more. Again, vibes are going off. What am I doing now? All right. I'm at at a space with Dave. I'm at an opportunity with Dave where I can now get him, and this this is key. This is what you want. This is what you're looking for. You're getting him in a spot at a time where you can offer him the expectation of, okay, what, what about next Tuesday? I have next Tuesday off work. Are you free for lunch? Yeah, as a matter of fact, Tuesday, you know, typically works out for me. You know, I know this great place. It's called the Canteen. It's just down here. We'll go. We'll get coffee. I'll, I'll buy your lunch. And we can talk about what? We can talk about why, why you don't see it this way. We can talk about why you disagree and why you also find it interesting. What are you doing? You're setting the expectation that when you get together the next time, and this is important, 
when you get together next time, you're not talking about the weather. You're not talking about Manchester United. You're not talking about your proper football group. What are you doing? You're there to open a Bible and to reason with him. Dave knows, I know, that when we get together on Tuesday for coffee at the canteen, we're talking about the question that he had and the difference of opinions that we have and how we can reason using God's word, okay? So the focus of the chariot meeting is to share your faith. We've been really nice. We've been really kind. We've been really gentle. We've been really loving so far. Because now it's the Super Bowl. Now it's go time. Now it's time to get in that chariot one-on-one, looking that other person in the eye with the expectation set. So when this happens, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16 has to kick in. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So you got to be wise about this. Number one, you got to have wisdom, all right? You got to have wisdom when you get into the chariot with somebody. Don't rush it, all right? If you're walking, if you're walking from the t-ball field to your truck, and on the way there, the guy goes, hey, man, your kid really listens to the, man, really listens to the coach, really seems to, like, listen to you, really loves you. I wish my kid didn't pick dandelions out in the field the whole game. And I, will, I really wish he, you know, gave a rip about what I said. And how, did, how have you gotten your kid to obey him? And by this time, you're sticking the cooler in the, in the bed of the truck, and he's sticking the cooler in the bed of his truck. Now's not the time to share your testimony, just so you know, okay? He wants to get home and, like, probably take 100 Advil and, like, relieve himself of the stress and pressure of watching his kid pick dandelions for five hours, right? Okay. What you're doing is, oh, man, that's a great question. And, I, man, I'd love to share, I'd love to share, like, my relationship with my son and, and how, how Christ has really affected that. And, you know, would you like to go to lunch sometime? I'd love to share that with you. Oh, you're busy next week? Oh, that's fine. Uh, what about the following week? Yeah, man, we'll set something up. Hey, can I get your number? I'll text you. Yeah, text me about it. We'll set something up. And so when you get home, what do you do? You text him. Hey, man, this is Eric from T-Ball. Man, it's been a pleasure getting to know you at the T-Ball games. I know it's crazy there, man. Well, uh, what does lunch look like? Okay, and what are you doing? You're setting up a time one-on-one with T-Ball, Dad where you can sit across from him and you can open your Bible because you're going to bring a Bible to the chariot meeting and you're going to lay it before him and you're going to show him how your relationship with Christ has affected your relationship with your son and your wife and everybody else in your life as you share your testimony with him. And he expects that to happen. He knows that's happening. He knows that's coming because he's invited you into his chariot, right? He asked you the question. Therefore, it it's, it doesn't, it's not weird. It's not creepy. It's not crazy. You're not cramming it down his throat. Hey, man, you asked about this, and I just wanted to share. You mind? I'm just going to open my Bible real quick. And this, you asked why, and here's why. Here's why my son obeys. Here's why my wife loves me. You've got to be wise about when you do it. Don't rush it. Set up a time for later. You've got to be wise about where you do it. Don't do it in a huge group with everybody watching where he's nervous or she's weirded out. Where do you do it? Find his favorite coffee shop. Find his favorite restaurant. Find a booth in the back of the restaurant, away from everybody else, so the waitress isn't bothering you a hundred times, and you can be like one-on-one focused. Be wise about how you share. Your demeanor, your body language, your approach is going to be key, all right? 
So you've got to have wisdom. And you've got to prepare, okay? You've got to prepare for this. And I want to just quickly share something with you that we found to be really important, okay? The response is what you have to, is what you have to prepare for, okay? People respond frustrated a lot of times when they're met with the presentation of the gospel. You see, the expectations that people have, and there's a reason I'm telling you this, but the, the expectations that people have are found in that hierarchy of needs, right? Everybody knows purpose, acceptance, security, all of those identity. In other words, based on who and to what extent people receive these things in their life, they're going to feel valued. And to the extent that they feel valued, they feel respected. And if they feel respected, they feel worth. And providing these things is the world's understanding of love, okay? You need to understand that. That's the world's understanding. Now, why do I say all of this? Because when Christ had the encounter with the woman at the well, as he moves from the physical to the spiritual, he's trying to make a very specific point with her. And that point is this. Life is like that well. Even if you could be filled by somebody else or some other human relationship, you have to come back to that well time and time again, right? Why? Because you get thirsty. Christ was offering her a a well, a source of fulfillment that would no longer need to be dependent on human relationships. What is true about the tree in Psalm 1, planted by the rivers of water? It needs no man to come and water it, right? It needs no sustaining by men. And by nature of its existence, that which is within that relationship that is on the heart, warms and fills and nourishes. And you must, you must remember this as you approach lost souls, okay? Because only God can fulfill the longings of the human heart. You are not the answer to their problem. You have to understand that. Only God is there. Why? Because the heart of man is God-shaped. No relationship can do what God was meant to do. And my point with all of this is that people have been let down right? Your friends in your life, your potential friends, your realized friends, they've been let down. You can expect that. They've placed their highest hopes and deepest truths in their human relationships to fulfill their deepest longings. And the people in your chariot will have been exposed to intense, unmet expectations. And because of that, because of that, friends, I'm warning you, please, please listen. This is very, very important for your practical realization of continued sustained evangelism. You can expect intense frustration in response to the gospel. Our response to that frustration has to be biblical, okay? Ephesians 4.15, you have to speak the truth in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You see, there's a fine line that we must walk in the chariot between the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work by loving them enough to tell them the truth and yet speaking that truth in love. You see why our first session, that first column was so important now? If you try to do this with somebody that you don't know, with somebody that you haven't built a relationship with, it's going to be really, really hard. It's going to be really, really difficult. And chances are, You're going to ruin them, and they're going to ruin you if you're not careful. Why? Because people have been let down. People are frustrated. People are angry. And if you're not expecting that, if you're not ready for it, if you don't know how to handle it, it's going to cause more problems than it helps. If you go about this willy-nilly, no effort, no work, force gumping your way through it, you're going to ruin people. 
You're going to ruin them. John Wesley said it this way. When a man is exposed to the truth of the gospel, he'll either get right or get mad. When the Holy Spirit's involved in your life and is actively convicting men of sin, the consequences of that sin, you can expect new friends to either get mad or get right. This is why we must firmly establish ourselves first as a friend. First as a friend. Put yourself in that other person's seat for a second, right? Put yourself across the booth. How would you respond if somebody was laying out to you what you're about to lay out to them? And keep that in mind when you have your response come to you. And you must also, number three, you've got to have passion, all right? You've got to have passion. Again, we've taken time to build a relationship. We've taken time to be nice, to be kind, to be loving. The love of Christ has constrained us as they've canceled five previous chariot meetings. But now the sixth one, they finally said yes. And we've gotten them into that booth And it's Super Bowl season, right? It's go time. It's time to be passionate about what matters. It's time to offer them what changed your life. I remember meeting Brett for the first time. And his passion, man, it was inspiring. His passion for the word of God moved me. And I I wanted that in my life. Passion moves people. The first time I shared the gospel with Simon, he asked me a question. He goes, dude, have you been trained to do this? You see, there's something that you also need to understand. Like, we're not hiding what we're doing, right? Like, I'm not purposely, like, concealing the fact that, like, this is what this is all about. You see, people are going to know what you're doing. It didn't take Simon long to understand. Dude, like, something's up here. I want Simon to understand that, right? Right? I want him to know what's going on eventually. I want him to see that there's a passion in my life. That when I open my mouth about the word of God, about what he's done for me, it's completely different than anything else. He goes, dude, have you been trained to do this? I go, what do you mean? He's like, your facial expressions, like, your, like the tone in your voice, like the questions that you ask and the things that you say are completely different than anything else. I was like, man, that's interesting you say that because, man, this, if I'm honest with you, this is my whole life. What, what I'm about to share with you, it changed my entire life. And you should have you seen this guy's face. And the realization that what I was offering was completely different than anybody else had ever offered him. It wasn't a religious man-made system. It was a relationship. And no, he didn't accept Christ at the end of that conversation. Man, man, I'll tell you, we've kept that conversation going. And I'm earning more opportunities and more rights to sit in that chariot one-on-one with him. They should see a passion in your life, right? You should be passionate about the things that matter. It's not time, again, to talk about things that don't matter. You're passionate about the gospel. You're passionate about what it means to you. You're passionate, and this is key. You have to understand what you're doing in the chariot. You're passionate about scripture. You're opening your Bible as often as possible. Because... The words of God are the only thing that provide life. You understand that, right? You have nothing to offer them, friend. You don't. In and of yourself, nothing. It's only through the words of God. And therefore, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 becomes really important. The word of God's quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces to the dividing asunder, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As often as you possibly can, you go back to the book. And this is a skill. 
This is a science that you got to hone. You got to write about it. You got to journal about it when you get home. What could you have said with scripture that you didn't? Keep a list of questions in your notebook that you got asked that you didn't know how to answer with your testimony. Keep a list of comments that they made. Keep a list of stories of how God worked. They fool you once. No shame in that. Fool you twice. Man, shame on you. Go home. Track your ideas. Journal about your rejections, your answers, your refutations. It's these things that will allow you to improve and be ready always to, keep, to answer every man. Only the word of God can discern, right? Only the word of God can discern between the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you keep that conversation, and you keep that conversation going, and you keep that conversation loaded with scripture. It's the only thing that can make something out of nothing. You represent the true God. God doesn't need any help. You understand that, right? God doesn't need any help. He doesn't need you to embellish anything. He doesn't need you to make up stories about your testimony that don't exist. He needs you to be honest, right? Because this is where God blesses. God's not going to bless the heart of a dishonest man. He can't. Be honest. And the goal of this whole thing, all right, the goal of this, and I'm getting ready to end the individual session, we'll talk, section, and we'll talk about the group and what this looks like, all right? But the goal of all of this on an individual level is to lead your friends to Christ, and in doing so, starting a Bible study. The goal of all of this, all right? So our chariot meeting is to get us to this point right here, and this arrow represents moving somebody from the faith column into the fellowship column. This arrow right here is their salvation. You've led them to Christ. And tomorrow what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the fellowship section and what that looks like and what we've done, what we've done this entire week and what everyone else and all the other wonderful speakers have done is they've taken a lot of what we're going to talk about and they've already explained it. But we're getting to a point where we can lead this, lead this person to Christ, okay? So now the question becomes, why why the groups, just like we answered yesterday, right? Why the groups? Why the phalanx things? We talked yesterday, the main thing in this first column is to keep us accountable. You're not going to, be, you're not going to do things that you're not, held, you're not kept accountable to, right? You're to be kept, kept accountable to making friends. And what happens is you find the group pushes you. You don't want to be the one that doesn't have anything to share in the phalanx group, in the Bible study right? In the small group, whatever it may be. Okay, so let me just quickly tell you how we set up the groups, how we structure the groups, and we'll get into um, just a little bit about what they look like, okay? So at Wildwood, we structure our groups like this. There's eight to ten individuals in each group. Brett mentioned yesterday we have about nine of those groups. Most groups have about eight to ten people in them. There's about 80 people or so at Wildwood that are in a phalanx group, right? We tried doing it demographically, and as Brandon mentioned, demographically just didn't quite work for us. We've tried geographically. We've tried different strategies. What we came up with was leadership wound up putting things together based on a var various items, based on various things. One of those being opportunities to fellowship with people, as Brandon mentioned in the session earlier, opportunities to meet other people, different ages, different experiences, because what we're doing is we're teaming people up so they can learn from each other, they can pray together, and they can grow together. All right? So we got eight to 10 people in a group, and they meet at a leader's house. Okay? So there's going to be one leader couple in each group. 
for me in Ireland, it's just me and my wife there. Our failings groups consi- groups con- group consists of me and Lacey. I'm the leader of that group. Eventually, I have couples that are coming. And every Sunday, all of us will meet together and we'll talk about our potential friends, our realized friends, and, and what happens in these groups, okay? So the first meeting, what we do is, we get our eight to 10 people together and the leader sits down. We normally have a, a quick meal, maybe make some coffee. The leader sits down. And the first thing that we do at the meeting is we go around and we share our testimony. That's the first thing that we do. First meeting, what's your testimony look like? And everybody shares, all right? And normally that takes most of the first session. And we encourage, and we, the leader tells you, hey, Go home and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write, it, write this out. I want you to write a different version out. Here's something I've done. Here's a question I've been posed. Um, Jake, I want you to go home and I want you to write, a, write out your testimony based on this question that you give. Or based on this question that I've gotten. Lacey, I want you to go home and I want you to take this question. I want you to write out your testimony based on this question. Can you answer your questions that you get with your testimony? Right? We go around, we share our testimonies. Then... We give some responsibilities and some tasks, all right? Who are the people in your life? So this is the first meeting that we're at. Who are the people in your life? Do you have potential friends? Do you have any realized friends? And the leader gives some things for each person to do, okay? One of the first things that we work on, the first things that we do is we work on pre-scheduling our weeks. And the leader is involved in this. The leader makes sure that each person does their best Now, again, we're not overdoing it here. We're encouraging them to pre-schedule Monday through Friday. Normally, it works like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. People do failings meetings. And they have Thursday and uh, Tuesday and Thursday with their families, friends to do whatever. All right? So what is your Monday, Wednesday? Okay. What is one thing, one goal that you have this week? So the leader gives out one to two goals for each person. Because you get different people, Brett mentioned yesterday, you get the lady that doesn't, you know, she's very introverted, very shy, very meek, very quiet, doesn't know anybody, struggles meeting people. The leader's responsibility is to encourage her to go and just say hi to Tammy, right? Just go and say hi. But then you have Adam, who literally knows 100 people in his life, okay? Now the leader's responsibility is, okay, Adam, You know, 100 people. What I want you to do is I want you to pick five people that you're going to maybe text and set up a lunch with or or whatever that may look like. You're going to focus their attention because you got got grandiose personalities in the room and then you got small personalities, right? And the first meetings, the first probably four or five meetings are set up on making sure people understand how to preset their their week, how to pre-plan. And then at the end, we all saturate the group in prayer, all right? Every group ends in about a half hour of prayer for everybody's potential meetings, potential friends, and realized friends. As we get into the faith stage, right? Because as we see, our board and our group is going to grow and it's going to stack up with people. And we want to see progression all along the board, right? So you can see here, Lacey and I have people that have progressed all the way to the chariot meeting stage, right? And so when it comes time, to talk about Dave, Simon, Isaac, and Simone, what we're doing is, in our meetings, we're sharing strategies. We're asking questions. 
we're talking about previous meetings. And so the leaders in our failings groups go around when it comes to the faith, faith column. Eric, you know, you texted the group this week. You met with Dave on Tuesday night. How'd that go? Oh, you know, he asked me a great question. Here's what I did. I really struggled with this. And what the group does is the group offers suggestions. The group offers um, answers that they've, that they've given. They give you strategies for how to plan for next time. And then at the end again, what we do is we all saturate everything in prayer, right? So everybody knows what's coming next week and everybody's praying for, and you get the group text. And you continue praying for so that when you meet the next month, now we're going to ask about our prayer requests. Now we're going to ask about the people in your life. And you're going to ask about the people in other people's lives, right? Everything is saturated under the power of prayer. And this is how the groups work. This is how the groups operate. This is a very, very basic understanding of, of, of how they work and how they function and how they move people and how we move people in relationships and how we strategize together through prayer and through group sessions, all right? And so what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to take some time. We're going to talk a little bit about fellowship. We're going to talk um, a little bit also about, so I get a lot of questions that I don't have time normally to to answer. And what I do um, a lot of times near the end of the sessions is I'll take about half hour to 20 minutes and I'll talk from a leader's perspective Right? And what does it look like to lead a group in this? What are some questions? What are some struggles? What are some trials that we've seen? And what I do is I present from a leader's perspective some of the things that you're going to see, some of the things you're going to need to look out for. All right? Um, I'm going to give uh, Brad an opportunity. I don't, know if, I don't know if he wants to say anything, but he's welcome to come up, obviously. If, also, any questions that you guys have, we'd love to open it now at this time. There's a section in your notes, right? Number three on each of your handouts, right? And what I'd like for you guys to do is, if you have any questions, you can, you're welcome to answer or ask them now. But if you would like to, we're going to spend a little bit more time tomorrow answering some of those questions and talking through some of those things from a leader's perspective specifically. But you're welcome to bring those tomorrow. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.